Hey, Sanctus, good morning. So glad that you're joining us again. Welcome back to this very important, very helpful series as we're trying to, again, wrestle down skepticism, unbelief, deconstruction, doubt, and faith. And no matter where you're coming from, and no matter where you are in the journey, and no matter where you live in the world, you're so, we're so glad that you're he- here today. I was reflecting on getting in an accident, and I think we all know this. The most dangerous time to get in an accident is when you're looking at someone else who's been in an accident. Here in Toronto, we have this big highway called the 401, and many of you, most of you watching right now are from the Toronto context, so you know when you're driving along the 401 at 100, and depending on who you are, you can fill in that last number, and you're bombing along, and suddenly the traffic slows real fast, way down, and you're braking, and everyone else is braking, and then you see it either within your lane or another lane or actually on the other side of the barrier, there's an accident. Maybe there's a fire truck there. Maybe there's an ambulance there. Maybe if it's really bad, there's smoke. And what does everyone do? Everyone slows down and they keep their eyes on the road and pay attention to where they're driving. No, everyone looks at the accident. And in that moment, we are in the most dangerous place of getting in an accident because we are what? Distracted. That's why texting and driving is so dangerous. You are 23 times more likely to crash when you're texting in a car. Why? Because you're distracted. The very first accident I was in, I think it was 18, I was in the McDonald's parking lot in Pickering after youth group, I believe, and it was pouring rain. I mean, pouring, violent rain. And I was so distracted by the amount of rain, the deluge of rain, I just didn't look back. And I bumped into someone who was parked, of course. This is, again, such a helpful image and truth as we're wrestling all of this through. Why? Because social media, media in general, is just epicenter right now. It's strong, so so strong right now. It's actually a major force force, if not the major force, informing us, discipling us what to think, how to act, to deem what is right and what is wrong. And what is wild is so much of what we're consuming through social media and in conversations are other people's accidents. It's a dumpster fire out there. And then we wake up one day And our hearts don't burn with passion anymore. Our heart used to burn with passion for Jesus, for the local church, to see the world change. We gave, we attended, we were like all in. But now I'm drowning in accidents. And lots of us now are even in our own accident, on on our own journey. And now what do we do? Weary, apathetic, off and on, depending on how many accidents I watched this week. Let me say this again. (laughs) Uh, This series is about working through unbelief, skepticism, doubt, deconstruction, and faith. We, We all need signposts to start the journey, to keep going on the journey, to get to the destination, and to help others. Now, today, I think this is like week four for us. Formally, we're going to get two new signposts, two new helps that we've not gotten yet that are really important so we actually pay attention and don't get in an accident. Oh, they are, by the way, unseen presence and the gift of revelation. Now, we're going to enter back into our conversation still on Easter Sunday morning, but we're now with two different people we have not met so far, and their story is so helpful 
as we try to keep wrestling all of this out. Let me remind you again, the most dangerous time to get in an accident is when you're looking at another accident. And this story begins with two people walking, talking about a terrible accident, a terrible public event, the murder, the execution of Jesus. I love how Henry Nouwen described their story. Jesus is now dead. His body, that radiated light, had been destroyed under the hands of his torturers. His limbs had been plowed by the instruments of violence, hatred. His eyes became empty holes. His hands had lost their grip. His feet, their firmness. He had become a nobody among nobodies. All had come to nothing. They had lost him. Oh, and not just him, but with him they had lost also themselves. The energy that had filled their day, the light that, that had filled them, had left them completely. These two human beings walking home without having a home, returning to what had become a memory. So our story today begins with two men walking and living actually in what much of our world is like right now. Loss, fear, grief, uncertainty, panic, sadness, that feeling it is never going to be the same. What we would say in 2022, whatever the new normal is. Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, two of them were, were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And, they, and as they were talking with each other about everything, that had happened. It's Sunday. Jesus has already physically risen from the dead. That's, as a side note, why we meet uh, on Sundays as Christians. I don't know if you've thought about this. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It is a reminder that Jesus is physically risen and we have hope. But these two have no reason to celebrate at all. It says that they're talking to each other. In English, we miss it. In Greek, it's a stronger thing. It means to contemplate, to inquire, to examine, to debate and argue. So what are they arguing about? What are they reflecting on? What are they reminiscing on? Well, the things that had happened. Jesus' amazing entrance to Jerusalem and Hosanna to the king and then the false trials and then his execution and then his death and then his burial. And then that same day, some women come running back. We've seen angels and Jesus is alive. And what to think? Well, they are unsure. All their hopes were nailed to a cross in the very place they thought Jesus would rule from and make everything right. This announcement, this claim that Jesus had really been raised from the dead, had not convinced them at all. Again, like I shared on Easter Sunday, Jews were the only ones on earth at this moment religiously that taught and believed in the idea of a full physical resurrection. But that would happen at the end of time to every human being that had ever existed, never just to one. So this cannot be right. This violates all of our Jewish thinking and understanding. Evidence. Where is the evidence? I'm sure on an emotional level, they said things like, well, if Jesus shows up, sure, I suppose I'll be in. But anything other than literally him showing up, no, I am never, this is so important for someone, I am never going to raise my hopes that high again because I just can't take the crash. I can't take the pain. I actually don't think I could recover if I went there again. So as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them and they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, love this. Jesus enters into their journey. 
into their loss, into their pain, into their doubt, into their experience of helplessness and grieving over death in their conversation about the biggest accident ever. Jesus comes alongside of them and Jesus places himself in their conversation in the middle of their journey. Jesus himself draws near to them, not them to him. And they don't even see it's Jesus. And by the way, they were followers. They had been with him for quite a long time. Now, why would they be looking for Jesus? Well, of course they wouldn't be looking for Jesus. I mean, why look? Hope was snuffed out. Our leaders have failed. The crowds failed. Jesus failed. We failed. We're just going to go into this dark, new, unknown. Oh, let me just read this one more time. They were kept from recognizing him. Oh, not just a lack of understanding. God himself is keeping these two in the dark for now. The only person who really fully, genuinely is in the know is Jesus. By the way, the theme of sight, saw, looking in Luke is always a comprehension, faith, and salvation. Jesus had a normal, normal human appearance. He was really physically risen from the dead. He was actually walking with them. But it takes God's intervention so they could really know him, not just know about him. As another wrote, you cannot see the risen Christ, although he be walking with us, unless he wills to disclose himself. Years later, I love this, Augustine, thinking on this very story, wrote, the Lord's absence is not an absence. Have faith, the one you cannot see is with you. Those who, even when the Lord, uh, even the Lord was talking to them, did not have faith because they did not believe he had risen. Nor did they have any hope that he could rise again. They had lost faith and they had lost hope. They were walking along dead and Christ was alive. They were walking along dead with life itself. Life was walking along with them, but in their hearts, life had not been recovered. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They suddenly stood still. Their face downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know these things that have happened in these days? Shock, disbelief, angry. What are you, a stranger? What are you, a foreigner? I think I said this a few years ago. It's like, did you not watch CNN or CBC or Fox or MSNBC? Did you miss the daily governmental briefing? Weren't you on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook? Haven't you FaceTimed anyone? Did You didn't see all the TikTok videos? Like, seriously, no one on Zoom or Google Hangouts talked to you about this even a little? I mean, everything has changed. Nothing is the same. We are never going back to the way it was. I'm so frustrated and scared and angry, so apathetic, so nothing. And Jesus just says, what things? Hmm. Jesus now moves closer to the do. He engages them. He starts the conversation. He moves their eyes from each other and from the ground to him. Oh, he wants to hear their story. And I'm sure with gritted teeth and withheld tears, they respond, well, about Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. That word power is where we get our English word dynamite from. Oh man, he was a dynamite preacher. His words were backed up with literal spiritual dynamite. Healing over sickness, we saw it. He brought people back from the dead. He would cast out demons and and they'd just go. I mean, the kingdom of God had come, right? We had hoped that he was the one. 
I love this. That was going to redeem Israel. And, and, and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. The loss now grows deeper. They're part of a nation under occupation, personal rights, freedom gone, crucifixion normal, fear, violence, communal repression. And the one that they thought not only could help them know God personally and offer forgiveness, but actually set free the Jewish people as a nation is murdered. The anger and the grief would have grown deeper. He was supposed to deal with our deepest fears and our national aspirations to affirm our religious hope and dreams. And all of it was lost in one afternoon. We will never be able to go back again. Again, I, I just want you to either hear this for the first time or just be reminded. The first Easter Sunday morning, no public services, no millions upon millions of gathering Christians, no bells ringing, no songs, no he is risen, he is risen indeed. His followers are in isolation, afraid that they're going to die. And these two are walking into the terrible new normal. Well, Luke takes us back to the good news. In addition, they say some of our women have amazed us, perplexed us, freaked us out. They went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find his body. They came and told us they saw a vision of angels who, who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. See, the difference between these two and the women, and like we even found out actually last week, and John, is sight, understanding, illumination, faith, encounter. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's alive. Their journey has been filled with doubt and skepticism and jaded unbelief because they're observing the biggest accident in history. But Jesus is not going to let this linger long. Suddenly Jesus speaks. He moves from listener to speaker and gently in a direct and pointed way to the shock of his unaware friends. He says, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the Old Testament prophets have spoken. Uh, by the way, don't mishear Jesus. Foolish here doesn't mean you're a moron. You're an idiot. What's wrong with you? Don't you get it? No, 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 no. no. It means obtuse. You're not seeing, you're not understanding. This word was used by philosophers when people did not have a full, robust understanding of something. But not just foolish. Ah, slow to believe. Their failure to fully embrace and see Jesus, his identity, his teaching. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not believe? This is the wake-up call, the ripping off of the blinders. Hey, look back at the road. You're about to get in an accident. Jesus says to them, well, did not the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, have to suffer these things and then enter, in, in, enter his glory? And their response would have been, no. What are you talking about? Are you even a Jew? Uh, the Messiah is supposed to be a great religious military leader like David who leads with victory, not defeat. He's going to throw out the Romans. He's going to restore the temple. He's going to confront all the religious leaders that are using stuff to their advantage. He's going to make everything right. And for three years, Jesus said he would suffer time and time and time again. But his followers, even his closest followers, either didn't get it or chose not to hear it because it didn't fit into their narrative, their theme, what they believed, or what they wanted, or they hoped for, or what some people had promised them. But here's the truth of Easter. <laughs> the terrible events that took place, the death of Jesus, was the very plan of God to bring deliverance to the world. I mean, God within himself so loved the world that he sent his son. 
And then Jesus says, let me help you understand this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh yeah, the Old Testament is God's word, but it's all foreshadow. It was all given to prepare the world for Jesus Christ. He walks them through the Jewish scriptures, showing them through the Old Testament that he was supposed to suffer like this. Now let's just stop here for a moment and take in the arrogance of this. Jesus says that the whole Old Testament, I want you to think about this, the whole Old Testament is all about him. <laughs> By the way, if you're a skeptic or a seeker or someone who's wrestling stuff down, this is what sets apart Jesus from all the other religious leaders that have ever lived. It was Peter Kreeft who once wrote this. All other great religious teachers submit themselves to their own message. They point away from themselves to their own teaching. For instance, Buddha said, look not to me, look to my teaching. Jesus says, come to me. Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourself. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Uh, Moses and Muhammad claimed we're only prophets of God. Jesus claimed to be God. Any other religion could survive probably the loss of its founder. If Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius was proven to be mythical or not a historical figure, the religion that stems from them might well survive. Oh, but Christianity could never survive without Christ. For other religious founders only claim to teach truth. Christ claimed to be the truth. Again, it was C.S. Lewis, that great atheistic thinker who later became a Christian who basically said, when you claim to be God, when you claim to exist before you existed, when you, when you claim to be from heaven, when you claim you have the power to forgive sins, either you're literally a psycho, you're a habitual liar, you're satanic, or you are what you claim. And the amazing thing about Jesus' character and his teaching and how he interacts with people is it lines up with him being who he claimed. See, this is not just news. This is not just good news. This is not just great news. This is the best news. All of this is about him. Now, the journey takes another turn, and hope begins to spring up again. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go a little farther. And they urged him strongly, no, 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 stay, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. Ah, the journey has moved Jesus from not being there to stranger to friend. The two now seem to have a little bit more joy, a little bit of hope, something from like before, but a little different. And, and I've heard you and, and I want you to talk to me more. And would you just come into my house and talk just even a little bit more? Hope is starting to get closer. And that's, by the way, I don't know if you know this, for hundreds of years, uh, Christian monks, every evening in monasteries and churches around the world, always pray at night, stay with us, Lord, the evening is falls, the evening falls. So they invite him in to their home. And it's in their home everything changes. Well, he sat at their table with them, and then he took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he began to give it to them. This immediately should remind us, and it reminds them, of two grand acts that reveal the mission of Jesus and the personhood of Jesus. Jesus is feeding the 5,000 with two loaves and five fishes, and the Last Supper that had just happened so much, just a few days earlier, right, where Jesus takes bread and wine, and he begins to tell them that through him, through his coming death, his broken body, 
the spilling of his blood, and then his resurrection, he would be able to deal with sin and allow anyone who would embrace him back in relationship with God the Father. Well, in that moment, as he's breaking bread, a very normal practice, their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus, and he disappeared from their sight. Jesus lets them see him. He gives them faith, life, resurrection power. They don't just see Jesus physically sitting there. They now know who's sitting there. They recognize him. The new sight is the greatest reversal in history. Have you thought about this? When Adam and Eve sinned, it says that the eyes of them were opened and they recognized they were naked. Right when Adam and Eve sinned, it was the greatest eye opening, the most, well, the biggest accident in history up to that point, where suddenly they realized and knew good and evil, their eyes were open, and they experienced shame. And now, the one that overcame all the results of that first eye-opening event opens eyes again so they could literally see the one who could bring back Eden again and help us walk with God again. One eye-opening event is replaced by another eye-opening event. The first Adam is replaced by the second Adam, and things can get restored now. Well, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the Old Testament to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it's true, it's true. The Lord has risen as he appeared to Simon Peter. Then the two told uh, them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What I love about this is these two are actually many of us and many of our friends and family. People that used to be all in with Jesus, followers, the whole run, all in, and then the crash. Attended church all the time, yes. Served at a local food bank, yes. Went to connect group, reading the Bible, doing the, you know, reading the Bible in a year, inviting people to Alpha, went through releasing prayer, or volunteered on a worship team, or served in kids ministry, and then the great crash, and now my heart just doesn't burn anymore in this new normal. I want you to notice this. Jesus walks back into their lives and they don't know it. Again, we're trying to deal with skepticism, doubt, deconstruction, right? Unbelief, faith, really well. Okay, so for you who are Christians, signpost one, Jesus, this Jesus, has not stopped walking with you even if you don't think or feel that he's around anymore. He's actually still there. He's there with you just like he was with them. And what's so important right now, especially in this cultural moment, stop looking at all the other accidents and don't let them form you, hold you, or own you. Jesus is right beside you. He's good with all the stuff. He's right there. Oh, signpost two. We might need to become foolish again to be okay again. You know, our culture doesn't like the idea of becoming foolish, humbling ourselves. But actually, for some of us listening today, this is the thing you need to move from deconstruction to reconstruction. Again, I love Henry Nouwen when he said, the stranger had to call them foolish to make them see. And what is the challenge? To trust. 
They did not trust, listen closely, they did not trust their experience was more than the experience of irreversible loss, irretrievable loss. They did not trust that there was nothing else to do other than go home and take up your old way of living again. Does that sound like you? Slow to believe. Slow to trust in the larger scheme of things. Slow to jump over the many complaints and discover the wide spectrum of new opportunities. Slow to move beyond the pains of the moment and see them as part of a much larger healing process. Maybe some of you just need to say, man, I'm slow to believe and I'm just too consumed with all the accidents and all the things. Help me become foolish. Oh, signpost three. You might need to ask Jesus to open up your mind again. Again, remember, these two guys, all in. Walked with Jesus. Connected to his community. Like, in, in. And Jesus has to open up their minds to the things that they already had heard and knew but obviously did not fully understand or know. In other words, one of the simplest things to pray this week for someone that you know is really struggling or has walked away, or you yourself that are in the in-between is this, Jesus, you have to speak to me and not only speak to me, you have to open my eyes and actually you have to make my heart burn again because I don't have it in me to do that anymore. It's amazing, right? When Jesus speaks to them, when he opens the scriptures to them, that's when their hearts burn. They don't invent it from themselves. It's an external thing coming internal. Some of you literally need to say, Jesus, make my heart burn again. Now, I know, and I love this again, so many of you hanging out with us are not from the Christian faith. You might maybe have history with it, or maybe you're from another religion, or no religion at all. But this actually four weeks in is a good time to pause and just give you again a summary of the Christian faith. See, the Bible is very clear, and this story embodies it, that no matter how good you are, moral you are, religious you are, bad you are, un, you know, immoral you are, or unreligious, all human beings are lost and blind like these two men. We're not able to know God, see God, or connect with God by our own actions because of our own sin. You know, the world is, think about it, is so divided by so many views and so many ideas. But when you really think about it and you break it all down, there's basically only two ways all human beings live. One group's about moral conformity and the other group is about self-discovery. Moral conformity, self-discovery. Basically, that boils down to every fight you've ever been involved with and seen in others. Like the two people walking and arguing and debating, these two groups do the same. What they don't realize is they're both lost at the same time and they're both blind. They're actually the same before God. Both trust in, end up relying upon self. And they're blind. I love Tim Keller's little book called Prodigal God. When he writes this, moral people or moral conformists say, the immoral people, the people who do their own thing, the self-discovery people, the progressive people, they're the problem with the world, and moral people are the solution. Ah, the advocates of self-discovery say it's the bigoted people, the people say we have truth, they're the problem with the world, and our progressive people were the solution. 
Each side says, our way is the way the world will be put to right. And if you're not with us, you're against us, and that's the end of it. Now, of course, he writes, are we to conclude that everyone falls into one of these two categories? Well, yes, and of course, no. A great number of people have temperaments that predispose, the, predispose them to either a life of conformity or self-discovery. However, some go back and forth trying one strategy and then in a different season in life trying another one. Many people have tried moral conformity, lots of rules, and right, and found it crushing. And so suddenly there's like this dramatic turn. You might be this person. You might know people like this. And suddenly they're the biggest proponents of progressive self-discovery. And the others have the absolute opposite experience. And then other people combine both under the same roof, under the same personality. But despite these variations, these are still the only two primary approaches to living. And the message of Jesus is that both of these approaches are wrong. His teaching, his life, his physical death, his physical resurrection, he himself illustrates the radical alternative. See, here's the point. All of our eyes must be opened by another. We all need an eye-opening moment. Right now in this moment, for you who have not crossed the line of faith, Jesus is coming beside you too. He literally, as I'm preaching, is revealing himself to you. He is the only message. Now, now you know what he claims and, and who he is. And at this moment, he wants to come and he wants to eat with you, to break bread with you, to have a real personal relationship, not just to know Jesus existed or Je no, no, not just to know about him, to know him. Not a religious experience, not a dead philosophical idea, not a set of moral rules, not choose your own adventure. No, no, him. And the choice is to declare Jesus as the Son of God, the only way to heaven, and turn from a life of sin that says moral goodness will make me right or self-discovery is enough to save me. In other words, the real challenge of Christianity is for you to give up control of your destiny. It's to lay down moral conformity. I'm good enough. I'm religious enough. I... Or self-discovery, I should try everything and explore because I am this way, I feel this way. Because both of them are embedded in the great idol of self-trust. The invitation is to ask Jesus, the risen one, to be your Savior and your Lord. It's again what Augustine said so long ago, my soul is restless until it finds rest in you, O God. You will be restless as a moral person and you will be restless as a progressive self-discovering person your whole life. Because you cannot find in those two things real rest. Here's how St. Paul said it. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Again, we're on a journey together looking for a lot of signposts. Next week, we're going to get to Thomas. And that's going to be really helpful because some of you or people you know, they need evidence, tactile, show me. But before we get there, what do we learn today? Well, number one, some of you just need to hear that Jesus has not left you, though you don't see him anymore. He's there. Some of you, maybe we need to become a little bit more humble, foolish, not trying to control everything, All of us as Christians, if you're a Christian within the sound of my voice, whether you're watching right now at a site or you're listening to this podcast months or years later, listen, 
You need to say, Jesus, you need to open the scriptures up to me again and to make my heart burn because honestly, I'm sitting at the side of the 401 and my engine is broken and I'm just seeing a bunch of other accidents around me. Like, you've got to show up and do something in me. And lastly, for some of you, you just need to say, Jesus, you are who you claim. And I'm going to say yes to you. So let's respond this way in prayer, no matter where you are. Number one, thanks that through your word and in this season and in our community, you're teaching us how to journey well, how not to get distracted or broken on the journey and keep going. Thanks that you never leave us or forsake us. That's your promise. And uh, Holy Spirit, because you bring Jesus's presence to us, I pray for certain people uh, that you would open their eyes to your presence. I think for other people, maybe would you teach them to be foolish in the right way again, to believe without controlling? Actually, for all of us, Jesus, would you sit with us and would you open the scriptures again and would you help our hearts burn again because we don't have it in us anymore. We're just apathetic, tired, lost, broken. And then for others of us who are listening, we're like, oh my goodness, you know what? I I have given my life to the progressive self-discovery movement where I've been really moral and really about conformity and being right politically or religious. Other people are like, I've done both. And you realize there's just no life. And so if that's you, you can just say, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me for the idol of self-trust. Don't count my sin against me. I need you to come sit with me. Open my eyes. I trust you. You are the son of God. I believe you literally died. You literally rose from the dead. You offer forgiveness of sins. Forgive me for all of my self-trust in any direction and all of my rebellion in any direction. I embrace you as Savior, leader, and Lord. Sit with me, open my eyes, and give me eternal life. Lord, as I'm preaching and praying Uh, Holy Spirit, you're bringing to mind some people right across. It's just literally happening across our church and beyond where someone who's deconstructed, another person who has unbelief, someone wrestling with deep skepticism that we know, would you now lead people to pray uh, that you would show up, Jesus, just like you did with these two men? Thanks that you've not left us and continue to help us, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can't wait for you to be with us next week as we keep going and wrestling down uh, this important moment together. God bless you.